welcome to Truck Companion. This is episode 175. <laughs> I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the original series third season episodes, The Mark of Gideon, That Which Survives, and The Lights of Zatar. Yeah, 175. Gosh, I didn't realize it until I said it. That's that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> but <laughs> let's do it. The Mark of Gideon, Season 3, Episode 16, Production Code 072, Original Air Date, January 17, 1969, Directed by Judd Taylor, Written by George F. Slavin and Stanley Adams, Music Composed by Fred Steiner. Guest cast includes Sharon Acker as Odonna, David Hurst as Ambassador Hoden, Eugene Danarski as Krodak, Richard Durr as Admiral Fitzgerald, Frank Da Vinci as Lieutenant Brent, and Jay Jones as Gideon Guard. <laughs> The Enterprise arrives at the planet Gideon to begin diplomatic relations. Upon arrival, however, the Gideon representative, Ambassador Hoden, refuses to allow anyone to beam down to the planet except for Captain Kirk, to whom he gives specific coordinates where to transport. Kirk agrees to beam down and after transport finds him apparently still aboard the Enterprise. We gave you the exact coordinates which should have brought Captain Kirk directly into this very room. I am not questioning that, sir. If he is not here, that is your own responsibility, Mr. Spock, and that of your staff. I do not deny that, sir. I am not attempting to blame your personnel. The Mark of Gideon. I don't know, guys. This episode, it's got like a lot of interesting ideas and moments. Uh, but taken together as a whole, it just doesn't work for me. And it's pretty consistent about it. If, you, if I step back and think about any of this stuff, it just kind of starts falling apart. Steve, what are your first thoughts here on Mark of Gideon? Yeah, um, tell me why. Tell me why I'm wrong. Nah, I can't really. T- <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I have. It's one of those that I have a lot of stuff in my notes. Like this doesn't make sense. Why is this? What you know? And it, like we've talked before, you can have things that aren't completely uh, rational or logical in episodes. And if it's a good enough episode, you won't see it. But if it's not, they're just everything's just going to stick out and um that's what i think of this you know there's like you said there are concepts there's ideas that are interesting but it it so doesn't make sense that it's just too much and it's so tiresome on the most part this episode or so just kind of you know mediocre or whatever that um you can't help but think about these things and you know i what i remember about this is the odd visuals of like the, you know, faces looking through the, you know, portholes and the view screen and all that. And that's, you know, it's interesting and certainly memorable. Um, and, it t- you know, it takes half the episode before the captain realizes he needs to start hitting on the girl. That was kind of weird, too. It's like it's like he comes to this realization somewhere. It's like, oh, yeah, I need to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I felt, but yeah, but yeah, I think it's kind of mediocre with some interesting ideas, but just a, there's a whole lot of not making sense and not much to say. Yeah, Adam, I like this episode. Um, it's definitely got flaws. Um, I would agree with basically what you and um Stephen said. Um, but I actually kind of like this episode. I think it has something to say. Um, I like the idea of being alone on the Enterprise, being kind of trapped on the Enterprise. I think what my problem with Kirk being trapped and alone on the Enterprise, he's not, I don't know, I don't, they just didn't write it very well. He seems kind of, kind of out of it. He doesn't seem to be very 
clued into what's got you know I don't know he seems to kind of be half lays a decal or whatever I mean he doesn't seem with it so that would be my only problem with Kirk alone on the Enterprise is that he's not really with it he's not trying to change course of the ship he's not really trying to communicate you know when the girl arrives it, I don't know it just seems kind of like he's not with it he's not really Captain Kirk in um, a few of those scenes and it kind of drags out a little bit but I do really like the concept of that being trapped alone on the ship um, I can't recall right off the top of my head if that's been done in any of the other series but like I said I like that concept um, I enjoyed the the dialogue back and forth between um, Spock and the ambassador that kind of political dialogue game um, and like I said towards the you know I think the episode kind of has something to say you gotta have to suspend your disbelief a little bit about it about it um, I agree that you know it's a little kind of over the top you know a world that's so full of people that they can't move around so it's it's, it's a little bit much I think they were I think they went too far on that they could have made that point without having to go to that extreme um, but it's definitely not a perfect episode I wouldn't say it's anywhere near my favorites of all times but um I, I for the most part i liked it so why exactly is it your favorite of all time and do you think it's a perfect episode <laughs> <laughs> uh i would say for example you, you brought up kirk being on that enterprise i'm not even sure i understand why like so they the gideons created a an exact replica not even sure I understand why. If if it had been a big room with a bed in it, <laughs> that they put him and the girl in, wouldn't couldn't yeah. they have achieved the same goal? I I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm, I I realize that it's that a big part of this, like so much of the third season, is to save money, because uh, obviously the those those sets didn't cost them anything to build. Um, but I just I that's just one. Uh, one of many things where if I step back and think about it, like, well, why? Why is he on this replication uh, of the Enterprise? I, I don't understand. Probably the choice was either a replica of the Enterprise or, like, the big dark room with nothing in it, like, from the Empath. You know, if they were, <laughs> even though they save money, it's either nothing or replica, and they decided to go with that because it was there. I don't know, something different. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand their motivation. Brian, this is the set of the Defiant. You didn't realize that? <laughs> <laughs> totally different ship. <laughs> no, I would definitely kind of agree with you guys. It doesn't. I think, um, like I said, I think I just love that concept of being alone on the Enterprise so much that. Yeah. But they don't do a very good job with it here. I mean, like I said, the middle of this episode is it drags. That whole him being on the Enterprise, kind of wandering around, it kind of drags because they don't. He doesn't really do anything. Um, and I, I would have got. I would agree with you that it doesn't make a lot of, a lot of sense. And they, they. That not necessarily the concept was bad. It was just that they didn't really do much with it, um, with him on that ship. I think it would have been more consistent with Kirk's character if, because he's a smart guy and his intuition right. is always perfect. Uh, he does show that he's starting to be a little bit skeptical of Odana. I think he would have been much more skeptical skeptical of her much earlier, and he would have been, he would have been. Uh, mean. He would have been like, you know, massively insisting to her, like, what's going on? He wouldn't have let that go. You know what I mean? Like, he would have been much more focused on what needs to be done and the actions that he needs to take 
but you're right. It feels more like he's just kind of meandering at a certain point. Yeah, I think you. I think you probably said it better than I. He doesn't seem focused at all when he's trying to figure out what's going on. When he's, you know, he's just kind of wandering, and you kind of hear the dialogue going on in his head. It doesn't, you know. I, I think I had written down there. I'm like, who wrote this stuff for Kirk? It was either the writing wasn't good, and um, I don't think Shatner's performance was that good there in the middle of, of the episode so i mean it kind of reeks of just killing time right i mean yeah, it's what yeah. they're definitely yeah. what they're doing you know it's the they should have found some other thing that, i mean you know i don't i don't think this could have this could have been good i think conceptually like we've kind of hinted at then there's some interesting notions i think it's just the execution and they, instead of crafting it better they just say well if we're gonna fill up 15 minutes we'll just have them wander around some more you know yeah. and then yeah. pff, i don't know whatever the one thing I had in my notes is like, you know, when, you know, he turns on the view screen and they're out, in the, they're not around the planet, they're out in the middle of space. I'm like, why wouldn't he try to change course and like try to find another, I don't know, it just seemed weird. I mean, because theoretically he should know how to change course on the, he's the captain, he should be able to fly the ship, so. I do like the ambassador. I think that actor does an excellent job. He's got an interesting way of talking, like just his speech is cool. That yes, I agree that the scenes that he had with Spock are interesting because it's so clear to Spock, you know, that he's just lying. But Spock, mm. who clearly hates uh, diplomats <laughs> and bureaucracy, uh, is still going through those motions. But I actually like even more that scene between the ambassador and Kirk down on the planet, kind of near the end. Oh, I'd agree. I think that scene is pretty interesting. I, it sure broaches some risque topics for 1960s right. television, right? They're getting into contraception and maybe even a little bit of abortion. Maybe I, maybe I'm stretching on that, but... You know, assisted suicide. Yeah, there's a lot there towards the end. So it's it's got an, an interesting through line there, but again, when you kind of step back and think about it, most of, even their actions don't really make any sense, really, and... You know, okay, here you go. At the end of the show, we have our, like, light moment. Like, you know, and so uh, Odana and Kirk, she's she's cured, but she's got the stuff in her blood now, and she and Kirk are just kind of joking while she's, and they're smiling and, and laughing a little bit or whatever while they're on their way toward the transporter room so that she can go down to the planet and use her new cured diseased fake blood to kill, like, millions of people. Ha ha ha, thanks, Kirk. You know, I, I you're coming like, too, you know. Yeah, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It just it, yeah. it breaks. It's I start thinking about it and it breaks. Yeah, there's definitely a problem. I had down on there, you know, like unintended consequences. Okay, so they release this virus and what if it kills like 99% of the population? So, the, you know, it, it's kind of hodgepodge there at the end. I I kind of think I would have preferred, you know, cuz Kirk is pleading with it with them that there are other ways to to fix this, there are other way you know that the Federation can help them. And you know that scene that you were talking about um, with the ambassador, you know, Kirk's like contraception. You know, we can relocate. You know, he's going through this litany of things that um, the civilization can do to fix the problem that they're in. Um, and at the end, it's still basically, well, we're gonna we're just gonna you know introduce this disease and see what see what happens. Um, so the, the only thing I could think of is like unintended consequences that you go you know the Enterprise comes back in five years and everybody's dead. So um, yeah, well, it's the absurdity of um, you know their ethics in this sense. It's like oh, apparently it's more ethical to them to essentially release a biological weapon into their population than it is to consider um, controlling 
you know, procreation a little better or something. I mean, it, you know, it's it's whatever. It's, is that something, you know, you were talking about them getting into risque topics because that, you know, is that a risque topic to that part of what you were saying, Brian? Yeah. Or how about just, you know, relocating to another planet? Yeah, I mean, there's like colonization. Yeah. There's a couple of odd uh, shots, too, uh, kind of in nowhere. I mean, it's interesting to have interesting shots, but they're just stuck in the middle there, those ones through the table, you know, underneath the table. Pointing yeah, there's up. a couple of those. That's the kind of thing where you have one of them, and it's fine, but it draws enough attention to itself that if you do another shot like that, yeah. now we feel like we've suddenly been looking at it for 10 minutes. You can't yeah, that, I had one of my note that first shot that you see of the ambassador when Spock hails him, and then you're, like, looking through a, I don't know, like... A, there's like triangles, like a, like a wooden fence post, or I don't know. It was kind of a weird shot because there was like, I don't know. What is this episode about? Well, I think in the end, the episode kind of tries to talk about you know overpopulation. Um, you know, we touched on it. You know, birth control. It touches on um, you know abortion. You know, um, you know love of life. So I, I think it tries to hit on those topics. I think it's a it's it tries to do it all at once towards the end of the episode. I think it, maybe if they would have kind of started talking about this sooner it might have would have had a little bit more impact but i mean basically what you get about this what this episode is trying about is from that scene with kirk and the ambassador where you know he's talking about how this civilization has such a love for life that they you know they can't kill anybody but at the same time they're willing to introduce this virus so it's it kind of to me it kind of talks about the hypocrisy that goes on in our society about abortion and the death penalty and how we feel about death and that kind of thing and so it kind of kind of hits on those topics and i think it yeah i think it was if it had been more directed towards something and maybe they were just too afraid to dive into it too much you know uh it could have been better if they um but there was also the another theme of the whole um benefits of privacy and loan you know being alone sometimes and just the kind of the relative notions of that we have on our own planet you know there's civilizations and in certain cities and stuff it's very much crowded in one versus another and it's just what you gotta get used to and um you know lack of privacy or whatever but again i I think there's just they didn't focus enough on one topic so it's just kind of all over the place all right let's do six degrees for the mark of gideon adam yes Stanley Adams co-wrote the story for this episode. In The Trouble with Tribbles, he played the character selling the Tribbles. Name his character. Oh, it was the bartender. Hmm. No, it was not the bartender. Oh, no, he wasn't. He was selling them to the bartender. I don't remember the character's name. Steve? Oh, gosh. Somebody's on the tip of my tongue. Um, funny, kind of a funny name. Mm-hmm. Kirk says it. Kirk says it out loud at least at one point. I remember. It's funny coming out of Kirk's mouth. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm able to come up with it unless I pondered it for a long time. Cyrano Jones. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Steve Gene Dynarski plays the ambassador's assistant that is very proud of his large mustache. In Mud's Women, he played the miner named Ben Childress. What did he mine for? What were the miners in Mud's Women Mining? And I think uh, mm. Star, Starfleet uh, desired this stuff. 
Yeah, was it like... I don't remember if they called it dilithium yet or just lithium. Or was I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, it was just lithium. Mm -hmm. Very good. Steve has one. Moving on. That Which Survives, Season 3, Episode 17, Production Code 069, Original Air Date, January 24th, 1969, Directed by Herb Wallerstein, Story by Michael Richards, Teleplay by John Meredith Lucas, Music Composed by Fred Steiner. Guest cast include Lee Merriweather as Lucera, Arthur uh, Batinides as Lieutenant D'Amato, Booker Bradshaw as Dr. Mabinga, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Naomi Pollock as Lieutenant Rada, Kenneth Washington as Engineer John B. Watkins, and Brad Forrest as Ensign Wyatt. The Enterprise discovers a planet that appears young compared with the evolutionary stage of its surface. Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, Lieutenant Sulu, and geolo geologist Diamanto prepare to beam down to the planet to investigate. In the midst of dematerializing, they see a beautiful woman appear in the transporter room and try and stop the landing. She touches the baffled transporter technician, Ensign Wyatt, killing him instantly. You are Lieutenant Sulu. You were born on the planet Earth. You're helmsman for the Enterprise. How do you know this? Where did you get this information? Are you from this planet? I am from here. Then the planet is hollow. Who killed Lieutenant Diamato? That which survives. Adam, why don't you start us on this one? That which survives. Um, I would categorize this as an average episode at best. I mean, it's mildly interesting. Um, I enjoyed Sulu's, Sulu's role in this. He kind of had a little beefier role in it. Um, but I don't know, I kind of just kind of found myself a little bit bored, you know, it's just they're on the planet, they've got this woman who is touching people and killing them, but it's only for certain people. Um, I mean, there's some entertainment towards the end of the episode when um, uh, McCoy and Sulu are, 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 you know, they got a line for Kirk and so she can't touch him. Um, I don't know. Um, I'd, I would just categorize this episode as kind of uneventful and not very memorable. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. I wouldn't say I'd never watch it again. It's not the I mean, but I mean, I just, it was just average at best. Yeah, I think it's probably, for me, it's probably a, a little bit below average. Not terrible, but maybe it's a little bit more cohesive than the previous episode. But the, the previous episode at least had some ideas I hadn't seen in the original series episode before, and I'm not sure I'd really say that about this one. Uh, it just feels um, frequently manufactured and... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of what we've already seen before, yeah. you know. I mean, you know, civilization that's died off, and then there's, you know, in this case, I guess it's a computer program that's defending the planet and killing people, and somehow it, you know, shot the Enterprise a thousand light years away. Um but, I mean, most of these things I can point out other episodes. That did it better. That. Yeah. Heck, just having this this woman that's that's just there to kill the one person reminded me of the first episode they ever aired. You know, Man Trap. Mm -hmm. It felt like that a little bit, the way she's walking toward them. and I don't know. Steve, what are some of your first thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's kind of a mixture of things we've already seen. What I remember most about this one is the... I always thought it was creepy, the way that, that effect, went along with the music, whenever she disappears, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's cool. Always, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's probably unusual. the best part of the episode. That was neat. I mean, that was a cool event. Uh-huh. And also, uh, what I remember about this is... Um, how just snarky Spock is the whole time. I mean, it's fun. I don't think it's totally out of character or something, but it's so much of it. It's kind of like, man, he's just really firing on all cylinders there. I mean, you know, with his remarks and kind of being, you know, silly. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff we see from him once or twice in an episode, but here it's every scene that he's in. Right, right. I don't know. To me, that was probably a bit too much because it mm-hmm. it almost starts to feel like a caricature of Spock. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's funny that first time when he tells Scotty it would be undignified for uh-huh. him to sit on the warp core or something huh. like that. I mean, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I guess a little bit, especially when Scotty's in the tube. He's like, just do your job. I I chuckled whenever Scotty said something like, "I don't need a bloom and cuckoo clock." Yeah. That was fun. You know, that made me laugh. But, um, you know, uh, whenever Spock figures out that he needs to reverse the polarity, he tells him to... So he's he's trying to reverse the polarity on his tool, and then he says, wait, it's stuck! And then you get, like, this very dramatic musical stinger. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's stuck. <laughs> I don't know, it was just... Like, this isn't that dramatic. So that explanation... So the planet actually transported the Enterprise, like beamed it across a thousand light. Is that what I got from it? It didn't actually push it a thousand light years. It actually transported it a thousand light years away. And it, when it rematerialized, it didn't materialize correctly. Was that their explanation? Did it, I don't know. I guess assumed it hit it away left. somehow in some yeah. weird way, but I don't know how. So if you were right-handed, now you're left-handed. <laughs> if you were a boy, now you're a girl. <laughs> Does that mean you can't serve anymore? <laughs> yeah, <get serious>. um, <laughs> you know, at the beginning, for just another example, it just doesn't really click. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm confused about. Spock implies this was a planetoid a few, and in only a few thousand years, now it has vegetation and atmosphere, and then shouldn't have pulled that off. Yeah, I don't understand that exactly. Are we? Is he saying that? It just—he's just—he's measuring it scientifically and saying that it's only a few thousand years old. So why does it have all that? I guess. Why is Kurt calling it a ghost planet? I don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they're both—they're simultaneously saying it's—it's it's pretty young for Planetoid to have this kind of thing, and it also is—they can tell it's been deserted, but they don't say how they know that or think that or I don't why know. Why would it be remarkable that it's been deserted if it's so young? Yeah. There's a lot of convoluted things going on in this episode. I'm glad she announces who she's there to kill. That, yeah, that's, that's convenient. Sweet. It does seem like uh, after doing that a few times, it wouldn't be too hard to trick them. I'm here for McCoy, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what's so hard? Yeah. It's funny, like the first time, who is it? Uh... Lieutenant D'Amato, right? Mm-hmm. I am for you, Lieutenant D'Amato. And he said, well, I, I just saw a woman on a lone planet, but I guess I won't react with surprise or fear. Um, <laughs> this is just a day in the life uh, on the Enterprise. But on the other hand, he was wearing a blue shirt, so maybe he felt overconfident. Right, right. 
And also, did they ever explain why she was actually on the Enterprise when it was a thousand light years away? Killing people? I didn't quite get that either. Well, the first, so at the beginning of the episode, they were in orbit of it, and she was up there, because I guess she has a lot of range or whatever it is to their tool. And then, apparently, whenever they knocked it away, maybe they dropped something in the computer that had her ready there, you know, doing her ready to do her thing and start knocking off people <laughs> while they were coming back. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. Sulu, I, again, some of the times I write these lines down is for reference or notes, and I look back and I'm like, I, I'm not sure I got it right exactly, but I wrote <laughs> that Sulu said, I'm glad the others are dead and I'm, like, totally not dead. <laughs> so if he didn't say that exactly, he said something very close to that. Right. Which was, it felt odd for him to say that. Yeah, there's just... It's weird. This episode feels like it could have... This, I feel like I've said this a couple times before, but we get this a lot in the third season where, because they're making the episodes so so cheaply, um, they can do so little that it just feels like they could have made this episode. This could have been a... Instead of 51-minute episode, it could have, you know, filling up an hour of television, it could have been a 26-minute episode filling up a 30 minute slot on television and mm-hmm. it would have been just a, the exact same show but yeah. effectively better because it wouldn't have had so much filler mm-hmm. true that's that's not a compliment that's kind of the opposite no. of a compliment no. it is interesting how they kind of establish a little bit of transporter stuff inadvertently about how it works in the sense that I don't recall that there's other original series episodes that delve too much into what you're seeing when you're dematerializing, if you're frozen in place, how long it lasts, this kind of stuff. And I thought that was kind of from a scientific standpoint or just the how things work, you know, the notion of they see something go down on the ship and then they're, but they obviously are all frozen and then they get down there and comment on it. But that was mildly interesting from a kind of a technical canon perspective or something. Even the B story feels drawn out in in the same way the A story does. Even even like the data mod, like like the away team finally getting to that door and going in there, it is not satisfying. You know, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's a room with a box in the ceiling. A hanging box. It is cool. Yeah, it is cool when we get the message from the long dead woman that you know obviously has the same. Uh, appearance as the killer versions. Mm-hmm. That's kind of neat. Again, we've seen that sort of thing before, this long dead civilization's message. But for the most part, the mystery, the solution to the mystery is not terribly satisfying. Yeah. Is this episode about anything? Mm, not, not really that I could peg down. Uh, okay, so Steve doesn't have much for what it's about. Uh, Adam, do you have anything for what this is about? Uh, it's kind of like a stretch. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to talk about—a dead civilization that you know left an evil robot behind to kill people. I don't know. There's not. I couldn't really tell you what this episode is, is about. I don't know. Teamwork, staying together in a in a bad situation to survive. And by that you mean. All the copies of La Sierra working together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So by the standards of our show, this episode actually holds up 
even less well than the previous episode. Because at least that one was aiming for something, even if yeah. it doesn't quite work. All right, let's do six degrees for that which survives. Uh, Steve has one, and I promised Adam that I would not ask him any more Batman questions. <laughs> Steve, Lee Merriweather plays Lasira, the woman that you probably don't want to touch you, which is counterintuitive. Uh, she was better known for playing what character in the 1960s Batman TV show? Um, you know, honestly, I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of it. I know some of these characters, but... Um... Oh, gosh. The Catwoman? Yes. Adam, she also starred in the 60s show called The Time Tunnel that starred what future DS9 performer? Love that show. Future DS9 went, performer? Went before its time. It's probably the only thing I can name for you that this guy starred in. I could name for you, I think he was in, I want to say he was in Guns Navarone, but he wasn't the lead. Uh, yeah, I'm not even familiar with the show. Just be kind of guessing, um... Well, give me, make your answer from the heart. <laughs> I'm trying to, so this was in the 60s, so I'm trying to think of a DS9 character that would have been old enough in DS9, but young enough in the 60s. And gave yourself, giving you several hints, just so you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm looking for the actor's name. I, I honestly don't know. Steve? Uh, James Darren? Yes, James Darren. I said this one's from the heart. Oh. <laughs> Vic Fontaine. <laughs> All right. Uh, Steve has three. Moving on. The Lights of Zatar, Season 2, Episode 18, Production Code 073. Original air date, January 31st, 1969. Directed by Herb Kinwith, written by Jeremy Tarcher and Sherry Lewis. Music composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include Jan Schutten as Lieutenant Mira Romaine, John Winston as Lieutenant Kyle, Libby Irwin as Technician, Frank Da Vinci as Crewman, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, and Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley. <laughs> The Enterprise heads for Memory Alpha, a planetoid where the Federation has set up a storehouse of computer databases containing all cultural history and scientific data it has acquired. While en route, the ship detects a strange energy storm moving at warp and on course to the planetoid. The Enterprise intercepts the storm, which bypasses the ship's shields and penetrates the hull. The exposure to this storm begins to affect the crew's, crew members' nervous systems. Now then, tell me. What did you feel before you passed out? Nothing. Nothing? Absolutely nothing. Lieutenant. Doctor, there is nothing more I can tell you. Lieutenant, you're being completely uncooperative. Are you putting that into my record? It's not true. I'll put the facts into your record if I can get them. In a day when we're discussing <laughs> a couple of weaker episodes that are maybe even kind of boring, this one uh, takes the cake for me. <laughs> it's it's just a chore for me to get through this episode. I really had to pinch myself <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> However, I did get to write down a lot of words next to each other that I don't recall seeing before or writing down before, such hmm. as Scott chucks his girl in the old pressure cooker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've never written that before. All right, right. Um, Probably never will again. Mm, well, maybe. 
I like when a man of Scotty's age finds love. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> kind of makes me wonder what Kirk would think of uh, Jimmy Dewan having a kid in his 70s. Mm. <laughs> I did write down that I think HR would have something to say about the way Scotty treats Mira <laughs> right, in, the, right. in the workplace. I don't think this would stand. That'd be a fun little little parody of sorts, seeing the HR rep on the Enterprise and <laughs> what happens, what they're doing behind the scenes during things. It's like, you know. Wait, you said what to her? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd kind of agree, Brian. Um, you know, this is kind of a more a kind of a Scotty-centric episode, but it does not do his character any favors any of this episode. I mean, yeah, right off the bat, I met you like you said, a man of Scotty's age, and then you kind of feel sorry for him right off the bat. You're like, oh, the poor guy. Uh, yeah. And he's just hanging on this girl the whole time. It's just like, oh. Well, I remember, I think it's something, Steve, that you said a while back. Like, anytime there's an episode that focuses on Scotty, which we love because we want all the characters to get yeah. there. But anytime there is, he just comes off looking like a doofus. He's like, when he's the guy that's fixing the Enterprise, he's 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 a super genius and amazing. And anytime they have an episode that remotely focuses on him, it's yeah, it's kind of yeah. awkward and uncomfortable. Okay, yeah, he lacks some emotional intelligence and some social skills. Maturity. I don't know something. Lacks, yeah, maturity. He's like, he's like an eight-year-old. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because it's, cause it's not the, I mean, we see this with, not to this extent, but with, with women and stuff. When he's after somebody, when he's interested in somebody, it's all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, you know, what's, what's he doing making a, making himself look ridiculous. I mean, I mean, for Kirk to have that line about when a man of Scotty's age finds out, it's such a like, you know how, is, you almost want him to say into his official record to Starfleet or whatever, you know how every week... I sleep with a different beautiful woman. <laughs> Scotty is just trying to have a conversation with a woman, and it's really, really lovely. And, uh, it's great. Uh, it's like, ugh. oh man, unpleasant. Uh, this is not really, really practically related to the episode, but when I was like, I don't know, twenty or something, I remember pre-college back in my army days I don't remember how this happened but I got in some weird kick where I was like taping little sections of dialogue from original series episodes and then adding funny lines after them (laughs) and most of them I do not remember but there is one that I remembered because I'm not even sure why but the only one I remember is Scott has his line now, this is not actually funny, folks. This was just funny to a young to a young man. <laughs> but Scott has his line about, it's space. It's, it's space. That's all it is. Yeah. And I remember on my little audio cassette tape, I had that. And then I added, this space between your ears. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do not write comedy. There you go. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I, I wrote down in my notes also, kind of near the end, Kirk asks Mira to like use her connection to control the storm or something, and I, and I just wrote, I don't understand what this episode is, really. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, I never really kind of got a clear idea of what the storm was. I mean, I guess the only bright spot about it, I can say about the storm, it, it the effects look cool, the new effects, the, the way they kind of... Sure. I mean, that's kind of the only... Yeah, I didn't quite understand. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, oh, we're a civilization that died, and we made ourselves into energy, and I don't... It's just... At one point, Spock says there's ten individual life forms, and then they don't really kind of go on. They leave that alone, and they don't really go into that. It's just, it's very convoluted. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I just watched this a couple of days ago, and I'm looking over my notes, and I'm having trouble understanding what happened. I mean, I'm yeah, all these pieces are there, but it it's like, what is the point? What is what was what were they doing with, with her and what their goal? And I, I, I I'm it's it's hard to put it all together or something. I don't know. I mean, the actress is good. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she's good. Yeah, definitely. I would. Yeah, she's yeah, she's good. And they have this library out in the middle of nowhere that is totally unshielded. That was kind of strange. Yeah, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool concept, although you have to be a little bit like. When they go there, I, I'm expecting to see, like, actual super tall bookcases with original <laughs> scrolls. Yeah, and th- yeah. If it's all just data in a computer, wouldn't everybody have access to that everywhere all the time? Why, yeah. why would there need to be a place for that? Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Well, they're, you know, I don't think they were thinking or thought of cloud computing yet back then. <laughs> probably, uh, you know, they don't. Okay. All right. Probably a bunch of, they're probably picturing a bunch of those little square disc thingies center. Right <laughs> That's probably what they were thinking when they wrote that. <laughs> so, so what day, what, what, what is this place exactly? Well, you know how on the, on the starship you have those little square thingies <laughs> here. We have a whole bunch of those. Yeah. There's tons of them. All right. <laughs> we got them everywhere. You look, <laughs> not if you beam down and walk around. Then They're like in all the different colors. <laughs> 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 you can take uh, little carts and drive around and pick them up and <laughs> check them out. Uh, and the I will say this: the actress that they had on that 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 library that had died when she was her face was deforming. That was kind of creepy looking. Yeah, that was another. I was yeah. I do remember the creepy parts of this. I remember the yeah. weird sounds and the glowing face. Like, you know, it's weird. Yeah, the weird sounds that the person makes pretty creepy. I'm sorry, that actress looks like the same actress from like Total Recall. Remember when he was wearing that mask and it just she kind of goes blah, 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 blah. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's where you can, earlier in the episode whenever Mira that's her name, yeah, Mira. Whenever Mira makes those funny sounds and um, Scotty still has a thing for her, that's love. <laughs> yeah. That is love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she... yeah, but the, the way he like shirks his duties and responsibilities. And I know. Just it's, to it's, go down there is really Schmidt. Just it always makes. It's, it's like a teenager another, or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. Scotty looks bad in episodes where he's focused yeah. on. I remember watching this. Um, I watched the series. It was it, like aired on a station when I was in college, and my roommate wasn't so into it. But we did catch a lot of episodes, both of us, because it was on one of those every day at a time. We caught a lot of them, and. He happened to catch all of them, I think, that had to do with Scotty and women, because I remember it was like, this kind of running joke, what's up with this guy, you know, and he kind of Im- tried to imitate him talking, and it's like, don't touch her, telling someone getting zapped on, like, the one with Apollo, or this one, where he just totally drops everything, and, you know, hitting on her, and arm around her, you know, it's absurd. You know, so it's kind of a contrast between Scotty in the original series, and the movies, because, yeah, there's not this weird awkwardness 
that he has in the movies. I mean, he seems like a normal guy in the in the movies, but yeah, a lot of times in in the original series, he just kind of comes off. Uh, well, in the movies, he sort of has a thing with Uhura, right? Yeah, but that doesn't feel mm. awkward. You know, that was what was that in? I mean, we're not talking about the JJ did. movies. We're talking about the you know, yeah. Was, it, was that five? The they hinted at that. Star Trek Five. I'm trying to recall, maybe five or six. Yeah, the later ones. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't seem weird and awkward like it does now. It seemed kind of like you know, normal. He's just a late bloomer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You know me. I never. I, I'm very, very hesitant to use these kind of terms. But I think this episode's kind of bad. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I don't like it. It's not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I, I kind of don't really want to watch this one again very many times in my life. <laughs> Is this episode about anything? Mm. Always back up your data. Don't keep it on one planet. It's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make or, any or sense. Or have the have shields on that planet. That works. Yeah. Or, or you know, partition the planet so that way you have two, you know, mm-hmm. on each. It'll, it's like a raid planet, right? So yeah. if that if the if that little globey thingy gets destroyed, there's an automatic backup. There you go. Yeah, they copied each of the diskettes and put it on another place planet somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> So you were talking about would it be called would it be called the cloud in space or would it be called the nebula? I don't know. What yeah, yeah. Nebulous computing that'll be when we're <laughs> interplanet inter interplanetary. The eye nebula. Yeah. So nothing for what it's about. No, nah, I barely I barely remember what the things about. Let alone <laughs> <have> some, uh, <laughs> what it's what it's about. You know. Love is awkward. You can say that you know love's a little awkward for for the older men. It's, it's... Okay, just to get serious for one second. Its, its primary failure is—I mean, we're making jokes about Scotty and stuff—but the primary failure is is a lack of any kind of s- strong narrative. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely a problem. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a big one. All right, so there's not a lot of substance, captivating plot here. Let's do six degrees for the lights of Zatar. Uh, Steve has three. Steve. Mm. This is John Winston's only season three appearance as Lieutenant Kyle. Did he appear in more episodes of season one or two? Uh, one. No. And I'm not going to give Adam that one. It was... Was it season two? <laughs> <laughs> season four? <laughs> uh, he appeared more in the uh, animated series, right? Uh, yes, but John Winston did not do the voice. For no bonus points, who do you think did the voice for Lieutenant Kyle in the animated series? Um, Jimmy Doohan. Yes, it was Jimmy Doohan. Uh, Adam. Hey, at least I got a question right, even though I don't Yes. <laughs> uh, Winston played the, the same character, Kyle, in Star Trek II. Kyle served on the Reliant. On what planet does Khan maroon Kyle along with the rest of the Reliant crew? Um, City Alpha 5? You are correct. So Steve takes it for the day, but it's certainly no shutout. All right, so we've got, uh, I think we've got two episodes of our podcast left before we finish the original series. That's nutty. And then again, after that, we're going to be doing the animated series. We're going to do, we're going to discuss four episodes of the animated series per podcast episode. Uh, We're going to change up the trivia questions slightly but we'll get into that as we get there but for now we've got another month of the original series 
um, and I am looking forward to that. Of course, around the time we finish this up, Discovery is going to premiere, so that's cause for excitement. And that's all I got. So, folks, thank you very much for spending an hour with us, and we'll be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of the original series. Until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.